Good evening, Demon fans, and welcome back to the Demon Land podcast. My name is Andy, and despite some carnage caused by a COVID outbreak, the demons prevailed over a plucky Hawthorne outfit and remain undefeated and sit atop the AFL ladder. It is our seventh win this season and our 14th win on the trot. Mark down another record that we can be proud of, as this is the fourth time in VFL-AFL history that a team has won the first seven games in back-to-back seasons. The D's first achieved this feat in the 55 and 56 seasons. North did it in 78 and 79. The Cats too in 08 and 09. And now our Demons are making history right before our eyes. Joining me tonight, long-time Demonlander George. Good evening, George. Good evening, Andy. Wow, that's uh, really impressive statistics there, isn't it? And it gives us great hope for things. But the question everyone will be asking now is who can beat Melbourne? And um, what I'm interested in is what are the bookies actually say, uh, tipping? Perhaps our resident uh, punting expert in Binman can provide that sort of insight for us. Well, he, he definitely can. I'll introduce him, Binman. Uh, good evening, Binman. <laughs> Good evening, Andy. Good evening, George. Good evening, Demon Landers. And uh, geez, you opened that door for me. I've been resisting my um, <laughs> punting uh, advice, but uh, I had a good weekend on the footy punt, um, namely with my team and I bought shares in Frio. I've backed up with a, a solid uh, win on them. Um, we're into 280 for the flag, um, which we opened at 370 into 280, um, which is pretty short at this time of year. I can assure you that's uh it's not doesn't represent good value <laughs> we're likely to start the finals if, if 2018 richmond is anything to go by they started they were about this price at this time of the year and they were equally dominant in 2018 and they began the final series they were a doll 70 to win the flag before the first bounce of the final series in 2018 that's probably a good sort of measure so um actually wait, wait, yeah, did I, that did, did sure. Did they actually win the premiership in 2018? Just refresh my memory. No, they didn't. So that's why I think one of the things is really interesting in terms of, you know, that's unlike the EPL, for instance, where it's you, you win by finishing on top. Um, this whole discussion, and we'll sort of touch on it, and I'm sure it'll come up right through the rest of the season about how do you beat Melbourne. It's a really interesting one because, you know, the teams are in serious contention to beat Melbourne for the flag, aren't going to be showing any of their tactical cards in the home and away season. They'll keep them to the prelim, and um, any team can beat any team in the prelim. Um, and I've said it before about that Richmond um, 2018 season. They um, got beaten by Collingwood, and they were like a dollar forty or something to win that match. So they were runaway bookmaker favourites, and they got beaten by a team who played out of their skin on the day and had a um, power forward who kicked, I forget, maybe five or six goals that day, couldn't miss. Um, so, yeah, it's the beauty of the game that pre- come prelim day, um, any team can knock off any team. I don't think he's taken a mark since then, uh, Cox. <laughs> no, that was, that was definitely his high, high water mark, that's for sure. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to, to this current match. Uh, despite uh, most of our everyday lives returning to relative, n- relative normal after two-plus years of pandemic, Demon fans were given a stark reminder last week that COVID-19 was by no means over and still has ways to impact our lives and, in particular, our football lives. Um, 
And I don't mean to make light of the pandemic, but I, I haven't stressed this much about COVID numbers since the Daily Presser days. And first it was our premiership coach and then it was an unspecified amount of unnamed players that would be out. And then, then the amateur detective work began with reporters and punters scouring social media and then Toby Bedford unintentionally outed Jacko and what some believed as himself too with an Instagram story lamenting how they would be stuck together for a week. This led to many punters on Demonland and social media speculating about who lives with who and who's already had COVID and are they still immune. There were lots of names bandied about and we all know the outcome so long story short I think we were lucky to only lose five players, albeit they were five premiership players, but they were all from separate uh, positional lines. And I'll talk more about our depth later in the show. And I think, you know, we were lucky to contain the spread because I was dreading my forays online, lest another player fall victim. And this apprehension lasted all the way until the final teams were announced. And I actually got to eyeball each and every named player in the warm up. Um, was a bit of a game of hide and seek. Um, If ever my MFC SS was to be tested, guys, uh, it was this past week as I went into serious overdrive for any new listeners, MFC SS or Melbourne Football Club Supporters Syndrome was a term coined on Demon Land for the veil of negativity that shrouded many a Demon fan over the past 50 plus years through the dark times, the limited and fleeting successful, successful periods, many false dawns, with the high draft picks that promised so much and failed to take us to the promised land. And I was most definitely in remission after last year, and my outlook and demeanour this season has certainly been on the more positive spectrum, but there is nothing like a mini plague ripping through your club to have you cowering in the corner, rocking back and forth and whispering the Demons theme song. But despite all this, guys, I still went into the match with a quiet confidence, such is the faith that I have in this team's ability to overcome any curveballs that are thrown at them. We've got a game plan and a structure that is so well drilled into the side and it pervades the entire list um, that we're able to substitute players, five in this case, and the coach, and not really skip a beat. We're fortunate that the missing players were spread evenly across lines and I'm not suggesting that we could lose an entire line and be able to cover that. Our depth is such that, you know, some soldiers can go down and uh, another couple can rise and take their place. But the Hawks most definitely challenged us and perhaps they provided the rest of the competition with a bit of a blueprint to attempt to defeat us. And B-Man will provide some further insight into that in our tactics talk section. And once again, it was our third quarters and our ability to score relatively quickly that won us the day. We've been incredible in third quarters this season for a combined 36 goals, 24 to 15 goals, 13. And the Hawks came at us in the last quarter, but I never felt that our lead was really threatened. Once again, inaccuracy in front of goal led us down in that quarter, which in turn led to the perception of a closer result than I felt at the ground. Uh, On the day, it was our leaders who stood tall and none taller than our premiership skipper in Max Gorn. He was just immense. 29 possessions, 35 hitouts, 12 to advantage, I think 14 contested possessions, 11 score involvement, 9 clearances, 6 marks, 2 goals. And in addition to the weapon of mass destruction that Max is in the ruck, he's now just as lethal a target and goal kicker up forward. He's averaging a goal a game and to have your captain slot through a massive goal or two in a game is just so uplifting for the team and surely 
he now has to be considered as one of the greats, not only of this club, but in the league and all, all to- and of all time. And when talking about current day players who are etching their names into the pantheon of greats of this club, it's indisputable that Christian Petrarca and Clayton Oliver, they have every right to stand beside Max. Oliver, 33 possessions, 10 contested, 11 score involvement, 8 Inside 50s, five clearances. Pedraka, 31 possessions, eight contested, 10 score involvement, eight inside 50s, three clearances and a goal. In your lifetime, gentlemen, uh, have you ever witnessed a greater trio at a football club? Uh, George, I'll start with you. Uh, absolutely not, because <laughs> primarily that trio has played in the first premiership <laughs> that, I, that I've genuinely watched. Um, so, But yeah, it's quite remarkable. And even with all those statistics that you quote, it's... Um, you know, the Petraka and Oliver numbers are frightening for other sides simply because they're so effective with their possessions. Yeah. You know, there's been lots of discussion about people like the Sam, Sam Mitchells and the, um, not Sam, um, uh, the Darcy Parishes and people like that who get multiple possessions but actually don't actually hurt you. Whereas if Oliver and Petraka are getting it, they, they're killing you. And we've got a ruck in uh, Max Gorn you know, who's just who's not just a hit the ball out of the ruck in the middle. Um, he's lethal around the ground. His marking power, um, power around the ground is is fantastic. Um, it must be like I said, it must be frightening for other other teams. What can they possibly do about these these three? And then you you might tag one of them, you might stop one of them, but you don't stop all three. So yeah, it's certainly the been the best that I've seen. Um, uh, in my time of being genuinely interested in the in the club, just on Max, just his ability as well to just grab the ball out of ruck contests and, and thump it forward is uh, is just fantastic. Uh, B man, uh, unbelievable. I mean, I'll cut my own lunch here in terms of um, positives for the game. One of them was that um, um, the <coughs> the leaders really stood up. So when I looked at the um, set uh, centre bounce set up, sometimes when we were you know, when they were coming at us, there's Gorn, Petrarca, Viney uh, and Oliver in there. That's like what an incredible vote of confidence. And, you know, they've Petrarca and Oliver, Max, they've all done different things during the season and, and had really good games, good periods within games, even in games where they were a bit flat. Each one of them have um, put together at least five or ten minutes of elite football in every match. Each one of them has had a really strong you know, 40 possessions last week for Oliver, wasn't it? Something like that. So each one of them's had a starring game as well. This game was one where we really needed our leaders to stand up and um, take the, the rest of the team with us. And for years following Melbourne, one of the things that I always, you know, that always felt that we lacked um, was that sort of consistent ability for leadership across the group. But uh, there's leadership and then there's leadership for players at the very, very elite level. And, and I've barred for Melbourne for 40-plus years and we've never had um, as many, you know, legitimate A-grade All-Australian players in the team at one time. So uh, one of my all-time favourite players um, at the D's was Carl Dietrich and I always felt he was a fantastic leader, always someone who um, lifted even when we are going poorly. But he was probably a stretch to say he was A-grade um, and, you know, he was willing and, and worked super hard. Maybe there was a period where he, he, he could probably have been A-grade, but we've got four 
I reckon Viney's improved and gone up a level. He he's must be in the All-Australian um, discussion because they'll probably pick it in an under midfielder this year. He, he's got to be close, um, you know, and that's not even sort of looking at other players like Langdon. And, but just the, those four, they they really stood up and, and pushed back against the Hawks and it's exactly what you want from your leaders. Um, but, yeah, no, I can't think of any team that um, has had such stars maybe the Carlton team have you know they had such stars during in the midfield during their peak in the in the 80s but um incredible and and different players too aren't they they all they bring something different Mike Petraka is a different player in some respects to um, um Oliver but they complement each other so well and um the other thing about Max is just he he's been phenomenal this season and I just can never quite get the sort of he's not elevated to a higher level in terms of how people talk about him in their standing. I mean, again, I can't think. Maybe Simon Madden. I, I had a, I really thought Dempsey was a great ruck and T-style, but, I, you know, uh, out, I mean, of course, Jimmy Steins and White, but he is the best ruckman I've ever seen in the game. And I've said for a long time, I think he's our most important player in some respects because, you know, as much as you can't really replace a Viney or you can't really replace a track, you really can't replace Max Gorn, you know. Um, so a phenomenal game. And, um, you know, I thought that uh, Max's um, ability to stand up in two weeks in a row um, has been um, terrific. And, um, you know, I think I think people probably get confused about the Ruckman, but they expect him to get 100% of his Ruck hit outs will go directly to a Melbourne player. Um, and it just, that's, you know, it doesn't happen. That's not the way it, it works for uh, Ruckman. So fantastic game by those leaders. And um, Uze must have loved the fact that he could call on them um, to, to make sure that they got us across the line. George, you mentioned in your oh, your oh, I'm getting some feedback here. George, you mentioned in your um, your report that you didn't think Max played um, like his time in the ruck was a lot less than in previous weeks. Uh, yeah, it was just a, at critical points in the game, and uh, yeah. um, we'll talk about um, later of that period from the middle of the third quarter to including the last. Um, he, he was certainly in there, but I was watching, um, you know, how much time they were giving Wiedemann in particular in the ruck, and he seemed to spend, as a second ruckman, he seemed to spend an inordinate amount of time doing that. Now, I don't know what the coaching staff were doing, whether they were trying to give him, uh, Wiedemann, a, more of a run in that to see what, he, what he's capable of or doing, or whether they wanted to give Max more of a rest. Max was certainly seemed to me to be spending a lot more time down forward. Again, that could be decisions from the coaching staff. Um, so, yeah, just as an outsider, I was just making that observation. That was all. Um. Well, we might go now, in, unless you guys have any more general comments you want uh, about the game before we move into tactics. Just a, one general comment is that it's – I thought it was a fantastic game of football and it's super important win for Melbourne for a range of reasons and it would be really easy in the sort of – I suppose to forget about that game when the season finishes and um, the fact that – for a whole range of reasons, the, the fact that we're able to win um, with the quality we had out um, against a team who I thought played super well um, and were coached really well, I thought um, um, it was a really admirable win. And even for the best teams, you know, even in the periods of, you know, the, the, the Geelong and Richmond during their, their period, um, you know, that's a sort of game that, 
it really wouldn't have been too much of a heartbreak to lose given the, the background. And it wasn't just the players we had out with COVID. It was we had two of our key um, players um, who had COVID the previous week in Lever and um, or were at least recovering in Lever and Viney. Both of, um, or Lever in particular, he looked like he was struggling a little bit. I'm not sure what you guys thought, but he, he didn't, you know, maybe his foot's still bothering him, but um, he didn't lack his normal zip. So um, I thought it was a fantastic win. I, the top of the Ponsford was shut, so I thought um, uh, I couldn't get up the top. So I sat behind the on the bottom of the Ponsford behind the um, Hawthorne cheer squad. Uh, and it was just terrific fun because um, <laughs> plenty of space you know, yeah. there. People were going bananas about the free kick count and um, having a go at Ben Brown, calling him Mr. Floppy, screaming. <laughs> that was terrific because Frost gave up two of the goals and Mr. Floppy got four four of his own. So it was it was really good fun. I had a great great afternoon, early evening at the G. Is it strange that I haven't complained about the umpires in the last two weeks? Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, we had, we had a pretty good run with the umpires and it was a pretty big differential, but there was some, some Hawthorne fans behind me who were just going ballistic <laughs> all the whole game. So, yeah, it was, it was entertaining. All right, uh, in today's uh, tactics talk, Biman, uh, you'll be uh, you wanted to discuss the key tactical and strategic elements of the game against the Hawks, in particular in terms of what Hawthorne coach Sam Mitchell tried to implement, perhaps providing the rest of the competition maybe a blueprint on how to defeat the Demons. Uh, so you want to take that away? Yeah, that's. I, I mean, I said last week in the in previewing the game that I expected Hawthorne to come out and play their own game and um, and I think it, it played out that way and there were some really, I thought, some curious narratives about um, the game um, post-game from some of the commentators and not least from Jared Waitley because he was talking about the fact that um, it's the teams in the Hawthorne um, position who are the ones who are going to experiment with their game plan and be prepared to go away from their normal game plan um, to try and beat Melbourne and it's the teams up the top of the ladder like Brisbane and the legitimate contenders, top four contenders, who won't do that because they'll back their own system in. Uh, And the reason why I thought that was curious was because, as I said, Hawthorne played exactly how I expected them to play. They played their game. Um, What they did do is um, a couple of um, tactical um, decisions, which I'll I'll talk to in a sec. But, you know, outside of that, I mean, teams do that sort of tactical um, thing every week. You look to minimise the opposition's strengths with some tactical positioning. So um, they came out and played exactly as I thought. It was a fascinating game for me from a tactical and strategic perspective. Um, as I flagged last week, their game plan is built around fast movement and it was even faster this week. So if they play on 31% of the uh, time this season in this game, it was 41%. So they were really looking to play on um, a lot um, and um, they, they got away pretty quickly. They were a bit unlucky. They missed a couple of shots that really hurt them. They, their accuracy was a big factor um, uh, in that um, game, I thought, because they could have easily got out to a four or five goal lead pretty quick uh, in that first quarter. Um, they missed some very Gunston, I think, and uh, Bruce both missed some very gettable shots. But early on, I thought it was interesting tactically because their fast ball movement, um, lots of play on 
running off halfback flank. They use switching, but I think that the direct lateral switch is pretty much dead in footy, except if you're an Essendon fan. So their switch, they were looking to go diagonal uh, uh, through the corridor or to get territory. So they were very rarely kicking directly across the ground, sometimes to set up that first one, but then it was to get territory. And they looked to, to go through our corridor, diagonally across our corridor, um, and did that really well successfully. And I think it took us a little while to... Um, structure up and and get our players in the right position. But it really highlighted to me how critical um, Nibbler's run and um, Cozzy's run are. So we've talked about that a million times. You see it best when it's taken out of the team. Like You're you're losing 30 kilometres of run when those two players... I thought Melksham played pretty well, but he hasn't got the speed or um, the ability to cover the sort of distance that uh, the player who replaced um, really pretty much position for position was Nibblers. And and in particular, Cozzy, his gut running and pressure. um, I thought Bedford played super well and he replaced Cozzy. It was sort of a half Nibbler, half Cozzy role, I guess. Um, And I thought he played terrific and his pressure was okay, but he... um, you know, we missed that up and down the ground running. Similarly, we took we had Jackson who covers a hell of a lot of territory and that was something I thought about afterwards that I probably underestimate how much running he does defensively as well. Um, you had two player like Viney who uh, must be gassed a little bit having not had a full week. So our inability to do what um, George was talking about last week in his own defence wasn't as strong um, and our ability to cover the to the corridor and get across and cover the switch wasn't as strong. Um, so I, I thought that the way that they moved the ball was very um, clever. Uh, it reminded me very much of the Adelaide game last year. Um, so um, a very similar result. Um, they they had the same number of scoring shots, which they'd be thrilled with. Um, I've said that, you know, really to beat Melbourne, you've got to be scoring north of 75 points. They got to 81 points, which was um, um, really terrific. They, they squandered a few chances. Um, the strategic things that were interesting, um, and a few commentators have talked about it, Ben Dixon and others, um, is that uh, before the game, Sanderson on Wheatley was talking about how to beat Melbourne. One of the ways he talked about that uh, he recommended Hawthorne do is tag Langdon and tag May. Um, now, they didn't exactly tag May, but what they did do is that they kept a, def- uh, a forward, um, Kajitsky mainly, um, behind May so that um, it t- took away his ability to be that goalkeeper. Um, and the other really clever thing I thought was that they didn't exactly tag. Well, they, they, they had a run with player um, with, and his name, I had it, I'll remember it a sec, uh, um, that he ran with um, Langdon all game. Now, they both Morrison. got equal numbers. So, George? Morrison. Morrissey. So Morrissey must have a pretty good tank because he he kept with him all day. But the really interesting thing was, and it's not dissimilar to your point last week, George, about the way that we set up our diamond um, and have players inside of it. He, um, uh, apparently, I didn't see this at the game, um, hard to pick up on the television as well, but Morrissey played on the outside of Langdon and, and apparently the direction was clear that to play boundary side of Langdon the whole game, which I thought was super clever because we've talked about how Melbourne used the width of the the ground, Um, but in particular the way we transition the ball along the boundary line, that tightrope along there, we we win if we get it forward and we break even if there's a um, stoppage. So I thought that was a really interesting and they'll they'll look to do that. But a couple of comments about that that I haven't heard anyone make comment about is that firstly May 
Um, Petty plays that role more often than May when Petty's in the side. Um, and Petty out was a massive, massive um, hole in our defence. And I think, again, it emphasises how, for me, how important Nibbler is and the work he does off the ball, how important Cozzy is, but how important Petty is. And that's the reason why he was so quick to be rushed back into that side. So that's one, number one. Number two, he's the one who plays um, the, the deep defender mostly, and they want May up the ground. A lot of people talking about how great it was to get May up the ground. I don't know, that's strange because May does play up the ground a lot. Um, and so the other thing was that um, I haven't heard comment about was that it's no coincidence that that was a phenomenally high disposal game from Max. So you're robbing pay, Peter to pay Paul to a degree. So they they held their, um, it was another thing that um, Sanderson recommended, and they did, they held their, their forwards up. Um, but that meant two things, is that they didn't bring an extra to the contest, um, and we, for, for once, for the believers in the um, uh, clearance stats like yeah, good self, Andy, we <laughs> in clearances. Um, so that was a big factor, and, and we smashed them in clearances because they didn't bring a player up to the contest. They held their forwards back. They also held their forwards deep, and they needed to to have Kajitski behind May, um, which, again, it's no coincidence that Gorn had a phenomenal marking game. So he... So you can't uh, so that um, any tactical thing like that you're going to give up something one of which was that you know that game would have been a completely different game I reckon if McAvoy was in the team Um, McAvoy would have um, been able to Harvard he always has had played well against Max Um, but by keeping your forward so deep it means that you lose an extra tall at the marking contest and Melbourne go down that line so often um, to our three talls or two talls Um, so that was a you know I think it's overplayed how beneficial that was to, to them. Um, I'm not sure about the length. It's hard to know. The other thing, and we've talked about it a lot, George and I, in terms of tagging, sure, you kept Langdon down to nine possessions. Great. Um, you matched him. Um, but you still basically took out your own player out of the game. So, you know, we can cover losing a player better than any other team. So Morrissey's good you know, reasonable player, suddenly he's a non-starter. Like, you know, his game is what, you know, his KPI is that your opponent has a quiet game. So then it becomes 21 versus 21 and our 21's better than their 21. So um, so that's a bit hard to tell. So, But that fastball movement, they kept up. What was super impressive about strategically, tactically from Melbourne um, is that we kept our shape and even though they were looking to play on, we stopped them doing so. And, and in that period, we got back into exactly what um, is a key thing for us. And I think George's going to talk about this next week. But in terms of our ability to control the tempo, score quickly, and then maintain that lead. So the 10-point margin is a complete furphy. It's the same against the Suns. You look in the scoreboard at the end of the season and say, Hawks did a great job. They did do a good job. They played great, but they didn't stop us scoring enough. And so that was the other thing about their model. Uh, And it's such a catch-22 for anyone coming up against us. I personally believe... Quick ball movement is the only way you're really going to beat Melbourne. And so you, you have a team that's on. That's why the da- prelim is such a danger game. If a team is on, uh, a team of the quality of Brisbane, for instance, with the skill that they've got, and they just hit all of their targets and go bananas and play fast, well, they any team can knock us off doing that. But the risk is they played fast and we were able to counter um, off them. So it gave us chances at scoring, uh, which is what I said last week while I was looking forward to the game because I doubted it would be a, a slog like the previous weeks had been. 
uh, and sure enough, that's how it panned out. So it was a good game to watch, I thought. Um, they play fast, provides opportunities for us. Um, they needed to stop a scoring under, as it turns out, under 90. So, um, yeah, so I thought that was a fascinating tactical game. Um you know, does that give clues to opposition? Yeah, of course. Um, but, you know, I, I think that I was super proud of the way the Ds responded to, to their um, ball, the speed of ball movement uh, and a super win, I thought, and a good um, coaching game from Uze and, and, and Mitchell as well. George, you want to jump in there, mate? Yeah, I was just going to um, uh, add a little bit to extra the... Uh what I saw was the other disadvantage of playing Kaczynski deep in the forward line was it took away Bruce and Gunston from them, uh, who I, I don't have a great deal of time for either of them because the majority of their goals come from cheap out-the-back type of plays. And they didn't get those cheap out-the-back. Yeah. And, and Bruce got one goal, Gunston didn't didn't get any. Kaczynski was the one who was doing you know, the major scoring, but yeah, you you uh, win on the swings, but you lose on the roundabouts when you when you do those sort of things. Yeah, exactly, and and I think that, and also too, like that's why I say it wasn't. That's why I'm really surprised the way Waitley was talking as if they played a different game. They tried some unusual things, but you know, despite having seven having their forwards deep, they only had eight marks inside fifty. Mm. We had thirteen marks inside 50 by way of comparison. And that's a big difference. Um, Their defensive system is their weakness and that's why that's going to be their barrier at the moment and they can definitely improve that they remind as a flag like as i said last week they remind me a lot of us in 2018 we can they could score quickly they it's exciting the way they move the ball um and you know maybe goodwin decided he wanted to do that then go put strengthen the defensive stuff after Ruse had worked on the defensive stuff. In some ways it's a bit similar, um, but they need, you know, that, yeah, you're right. Like they, or they ended up relying on those two players a fair bit, Bruce and Gunston, and they couldn't really deliver either. Well, uh, it, they did kick uh, one goal six between them. Um, mm. And I know we were wasteful at times in front of goal, but uh, yeah. They missed some easy ones too. Yeah. I was, as I said, right behind the goals at the at the city end, and Gunston, the one he missed that floated across the face. You could see it from where I was sitting that it likely did, but the cheers club weren't happy. It was, <laughs> it was terrific. The other interesting thing about the game, and it sort of touches on something that I'm not quite sure what the meaning like the, but they had a real. They were up twelve um, with five minutes to go of ground ball gets. So that was a big plus for them, I thought. That was a really, um, you know, that was impressive and that was sort of led me to to think about one of our areas of weaknesses, which I'll touch on later, is that lack of a real good one-on-one small defender since Jets left, but or since Jets sort of 2018 year. But um, that, that was very impressive by them, I thought, their ability to win the grand ball. But the other thing is you take system aside, you take out five of your best players um, you are going to get a big drop off in um, your all-round abilities. So for us to score 91 points in the context of that game to get that win, I, I was a super, super impressed with that win by the days. Um, you know, as good a win as, you know, just won't look as good, but given all of the circumstances, it was a terrific win. You know what? I used to get upset uh, in the past. I would have lamented the fact that, oh, we only won by 10 points. We should have won by more. But at the end of the year, who cares? It's, we've banked the four points and that's it. No one remembers mm. how much you well, beat a team by. 
it could have easily been 24 points because we had a chance to, to score in the last in the last two minutes and missed and it went up the other end, you know, and they get a goal yeah. basically on the siren. And so that makes it 10 points. So that's almost exactly what happened in the Suns game. So it's really, it's sort of 10 points looks good, <laughs> two goals, but it, you just get that feeling. It's been talked about all year. We've got gears. I mean, it's like I'll get, I wish I had a dollar for every time I've heard that in the last couple of weeks. But it, it really is an interesting way that we played it to get enough to feel comfortable that we can hold it. And then I, I looked in the last quarter, there was a 12-minute period um, after, I forget, after tracks, after they scored a goal where they just could not score. Uh, and it was, we were just happy to play slow. And it was like the game was in a, it was in the third quarter, George. It was like the game was in a holding pattern and it was an art, one of those arm wrestles where you know the stronger players just holding it and tiring out the opposition and waiting for the, the drop. And you know, it must be hard to play against, hard to watch. I know the fans around us were going bananas, but um, a good performance by the Hawks and, um, as I say, good coach, coaching from Mitchell. Uh, each each week we take a look at some of the team or individual positives as well as some areas of improvement. And this week, uh, my positive is the depth that we have at this club. Uh, for most clubs, being forced to lose five players at once and the coach, and not to mention those premiership players, it's a daunting proposition. And fortunately, these five players were mostly from different positional lines, as I mentioned. Petty, a defender, Sparrow, a mid, Jackson, a ruck forward. You know, but then you got Cosie and Nibbler, and we've we've talked about this. They're forwards, and they're very defensive-minded forwards. Both of them are arguably pro- irregularly providing forward defensive pressure, and in addition, uh, they top the team for pressure acts. And uh, losing both of those players at once, as you said, was always going to be cause an issue with keeping the ball in our in our forward half. You know, with the luxury of having, we had the luxury of having Premiership defender Lever returning, although, he, as you mentioned, he didn't look 100% right. Uh, and that was sort of able to cover the absence of Petty. And so too with Viney replacing Sparrow. Uh, Jake and Jack's uh, return allowed both Smith and Dunstan to remain in this team for another week. And it allows them to learn the ways of the teams, the structures, the setups. And this is all great preparation for them if they. Uh, to come back into the side to cover for any injuries in the future. Um, You know, we've got athletic ruckman Luke Jackson. He's a little bit more difficult to replace in terms of the ground ball follow-ups that he provides in the ruck, effectively acting as an extra midfielder. Uh, In this instance, our depth, you know, allowed us to recall T-Mac to return to the forward line, then use Wiedemann in the Jackson role of ruck slash resting forward. And whilst not necessarily a like-for-like uh, proposition, the weed does provide Max with the chop-out and he did hit the scoreboard going forward as well. Uh, Toby Bedford and then Kay Chandler, they were given the opportunity to cover for Cozzy and Nibbler and uh, George will talk more about Toby Bedford in a moment, but uh, you've got to be happy with the two goals that he kicked. Uh, so all in all, our depth, it does soften the blow of having five outs. Of course, having five outs is going to disrupt things. Um, I guess, you know, I, d- d- despite my confidence in our depth overall, I really don't want to get tested like that again with so many out. I, I just wonder how would we have gone this week against a top four team? Uh, do you guys have any insights if we would have come up against a, a, a Brisbane or a, or a Frio and now with five outs? It really probably would have stretched us, but I don't know. Hard to yeah. say. I, I mean, yeah, well, look, 
if I put my punters hat on, if that team come up against a full strength Brisbane team, I would have backed, um, put my money on um, Brisbane. Yeah. I mean, you can't. It's we're not magic. <laughs> it's like you take out five premiership players who are, you know, all five of them are arguably in our ten best. Play- well, maybe not Sparrow. Um, he's getting but, right. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he's important, but he's certainly not in our top no, ten. But the no. others are almost unquestionable. You take four of, of Brisbane's best players out, or five of their starting twenty-two out, and come up against us at full strength, um, and ask that question. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? So, not to mention we're missing Salem uh, Hibbard. Yeah, exactly. So Salem is probably the only yeah. Hibbard is is maybe you know fifty-fifty to get in, but. Um, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I, our system took us a long way, as we've talked about a number of times this, this season. Um, but, you know, like maybe we'd win it on guts and determination. Who knows? But that that's, is the beauty of having a system where, you know, there are many other teams that don't have those systems that um, you can lose the individuals, but you don't lose the system. And um, so you're not replacing... Uh, a better performing, oh, sorry, a, a better performing player with a, just a left lesser performing player. If the system holds up, you can afford to cover um, those lesser performing players. So, um, yeah, it's important that we've got that in place. You know, um, there's there's no doubt Smith's not as good as Petty in the, in the role down back, but he slots into the system. Yeah, you know, and and does his job that's required. You know, yeah. Bed, Bedford's not as good as Cosy up forward, but he slots into the system, and that, yeah. that's important to us. And I'm happy for them to get a few games here and there to, to learn that system. Like I was happy Dunson got another consecutive game because I don't think he's in the best 22, but I don't mind him here or there having a game because we might need him in situations right. such as this. Absolutely, and and I think that this that's another reason why I think this was a really important game because we got the four points, we banked it. Now there's with St Kilda losing, there's a gap, um, and Geelong losing, there's a gap um, opening up in the remarkably in the top um, between the top four and the the um, from fifth down. Um, that's already becoming an issue for the Footscrays and the you know the teams who are outside the eight. There's um, you know I guess that helps them to some degree, but any like more in terms of legitimate chance to finish top four, Bulldogs are going to struggle to do that from um, you know their start to the season. So, I, and I think it sort of goes to the point too about I thought Melksham played pretty well. He had four tackles, and that's what he needs to do. I, I thought his intensity was good. His pressure acts. He was. Uh, I'll just interrupt. He was up. Up there with pressure acts, uh, yeah. which he never was in the past. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, that's why you criticise a player for lack of intensity and, and that's what you want to see when he comes in and he, he did it. He, he brought that. Um, so I thought Dunstan played a great game. So a lot of those players who came in did their job, Smith. Um, but that's why it was so important that those leaders stood up, um, you know, like that because they needed to go up a notch to, 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 I guess, drag the overall quality up and um, they certainly did that. Uh, George, you wanted to talk about Toby Bedford. Yeah, Toby. Toby Bedford. Yeah, you know, we've been. He's he's the player who's played most games for the Melbourne Football Club this year since since he's been Medi sub uh, or on the ground in the seniors for every single game, and he's managed. I think it was four um, games in at Casey as well. So I think he got. A, he's already up to a total of eleven games for the season, which is pretty impressive. It'll be the the fastest um, to get to 50 games or 100 games if he keeps going at this rate. Now, look, he, he's exam- a perfect example of, of um, what the club's been building at the last couple of years. You want players who can come in, uh, do their jobs, perform well enough, 
play the role, and he did very well with what he was. He's, he's a, the the more classic small forward. Uh, he's he's not yeah. as as quick as Cosy is, and and Cosy is very dynamic. But he's a classic small forward. Two goals from knowing where to go at the right time and doing the right sort of thing. From j- just nine disposals. Now, normally you'd say nine disposals in a game isn't sufficient to, to justify it, but he did exactly what he needed to do given the circumstances of not having you know, the A and Bs and and the uh, and Cozzy's play, uh, playing alongside him that he, he would have otherwise done. So he's fast, he's nimble, he knows where to go, knows when to go at the right time. And, uh, and and he's he's sent a message to the selection committee and, and and the coaches as well that I want to be part of this. You know, he, he he wants to be genuinely part of this this successful side. So the poor old selection committee's got an awful sort of dilemma, in, not just with him, but uh, he's set, setting exactly the example uh, that players who are coming up from Casey uh, need to need to set, and, th- and that is. I'm going to play a game and I'm going to show you why I want to stay here. I think we've seen it uh, with Jaden Hunt, particularly this year, down down back. Um, he was sort of a in-and-out type player last year. Well, every game he's played this year, he's certainly thrown absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in this game, he was another good example of where, where he was needed at certain times to do certain things and he performed. And Toby Bedford's done exactly the same. So, um, yeah, poor old selection committee this week. Well, that's we'll uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, B man, do you want to add something? I oh, just how was that pickup yeah. at speed? I mean, that's the sort of thing you just like. Uh, again, thinking back over the years of following the D's, it's like, can someone do that? You know, of course, we had Davey and we had some great players who could do that. So, um, But, yeah, it was just magnificent how quickly. And, uh, again, sitting behind the goals, his first goal, which I didn't realise that was his first goal in footy. Yeah, um, when they went to him, I thought. Yeah, I just, was, yeah me too. But um, he, he's got a you – know, he's not as fast as Cozzy, but he's got some wheels because – he, he wasn't being caught. And that was, a, speaking of Melksham, that was a gorgeous handball to, to put that into space. In fact, it a was good pick up a great, as well from him. Too. A great bit uh, of play because T Mac, he scrubbed it a bit, but he, he went inboard. Um, it was a not really, he gave him, sold the candy. He does that quite often, T Mac. He, he does a bit of selling the candy. He likes that. <laughs> in a game where it struggled with, you know, their intensity was really good. And just on that, we. Their intensity was good, but again, we brought the pressure. We had twelve more contested games of uh, more contested, which was huge. But that bit of play was just a classy bit of football, um, and it was nice because the ball ended up smack bang in the middle of the cheer squad. <laughs> I think that's our featured video of the week on the front page of dmran.com. If you want to go have a look, it's very nice. Um, and, and now, Cozzy should be available to return uh, to action this week, uh, albeit with a few days less preparation than normal. Uh, however, Nibbler, I believe, only gets out of isolation on Friday or Saturday, uh, depending on what the exact rules are and when he tests a positive, uh, meaning he'll have uh, no tr- virtually no training during the week unless they do a captain's run on, on the Saturday. Uh, now, we know Nibbler has got an enormous tank and providing there are no lingering effects from COVID, he could easily slot in with little to no preparation. So this begs the question, has Toby done enough to keep his spot? I, I can't personally see four small forwards in the side when you include uh, Spargo in the mix. Uh, you can't have Cozzy, Nibbler, Spargo and Bedford. I, and on the proviso that everyone's fit and healthy and raring to go, 
George, what 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 are we? You're a selector. What do you do? I'm a selector. Um, yes. Uh, our, our nibbler goes out because Bin Man said that he would eat all his hats if he was left out of the side. So <laughs> um, I, I really don't know what to do. I, I suspect um, uh, Nibbler might be left out simply because he won't have the opportunity. He was out on Friday. Um, mm. Whether he gets over the seven days compulsory, whether he's got COVID, and you know we might have seen an example of it with Lever this week. Mm. Um, not quite. Right, you know, which is perfectly understandable. You know, the, the symptoms that people display, and people have got different different reactions yeah. to it. So it wouldn't be surprising that um, he, of all the others, um, might be left out. Yeah. The, the other players um, in consideration have been out for longer, so it's sort of almost like two weeks since they've been um, contracted it or been in, in in contact. But Nibbler's right at the very edge, but. Mm. Look, I, I just don't know, and we and we don't know. It's it's these are all the internal machinations of within the club, and it's, it'll come down to medical decisions, I think, for a, for a few of these. But yeah, look, I, I wouldn't be surprised that um, they leave Bedford in um, uh, just to give him another game, have a look. I think we've mm-hmm. seen examples of that with other players. Uh, you're going to get two or three games, and um, you've got a chance to perform. So um, I wouldn't be surprised to see the same occurring with him. Uh, I. I... If if Nibbler was 100% fit, I think they'd just roll um, uh, Bedford back to the Medi sub. That's what they did last year. They didn't, you know, it wasn't, they, they used that. And I think it was, it's actually a really good example of how good a man manager um, Goodwin is because that consistency of playing him as a Medi sub, they will have had that conversation with him. He's st- stood up, he's taken his opportunity. They will have also talked to him about the fact that your time, you know, you'll go back, but, you know, he's in the frame. Um, so, but I, actually, it's a good point about um, Nibbler George because I think that of any, probably Langdon and him because they cover the most ground. If he has had COVID and there's any sort of respiratory stuff, he's the sort of player who's, whose game is going to be impacted by that because it's so based on, um, so much based on how he runs. So, but possibly they'll give him another week to freshen up. And, um, you know, you've got Bedford who could, and he's, you know, he's got a good tank too, apparently. Mm. So you can definitely feel Nibbler's role. Yep, be interesting being a selector this week, and we'll talk more about selections a bit later. Bin, uh, Bin Man, your positive this week. Well, I've really done all my positives so far. So the my three this week were leaders standing up, um, Max, and we've talked about um, that just phenomenal game. I, I just think he's he's amazing. He's just um, yeah, incredible football, incredible for the Melbourne Football Club. Uh, and the third positive was the fact we uh, won the game. I, 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 that's going to be an important win in the, in, um, in the wash-up of the season because it could be the difference between us finishing top or finishing second and avoiding a um, road trip come finals. Uh, so super important win. So I'm going to use my positive here um, for um, positive for um, um, the coverage of footy. So I've been pretty negative at times yeah. on the commentary. I watched the Brisbane-Sydney game. It was terrific. Brent, um, I think it's Brendan Speed or Brenton Speed was really good. Um, Jack Rewald was special comments and, and was genuinely insightful, I thought. And uh, um, our uh, ex-champion Lewis was also there. Uh, and I thought he's. it was just really good commentary. Um, 
helped me understand the game, which was what you want, but it wasn't a joke fest or uh, um, I, I thought it was really uh, excellent commentary. But the thing I wanted to play, which was just fascinating to me, and maybe it's modern footballers and um, and he's a very articulate um, young man, but uh, Brayshaw for Frio. Um, and if you just play this clip, this is straight after they've had it. They've played 15 times down at the Cattery. They've won. This is the fourth win they've had. So maybe it's 16 game and they've won four now. Um, this is just after they've won the game. Um, one is just terrific that he, the way he talks about it. But two, it's just just really interesting from a tactical perspective of some of the the detail these guys go into in terms of oh, sorry with their coaches and and what they train for. So um, when you're ready, Annie. What were you thinking when Blitzars kicked that late goal to get within three points? Um, we've practiced those scenarios a lot during pre-season. Um, we had a close game in round one against Adelaide, so I backed us in. So what was the strategy, given you've practiced it? Yeah, uh, we try and get the plus one around, around the back, uh, try and be really strong in the contest, keep it inside, and if we can, go long and wide. And um, We had almost a repeat, spilled it out wide, got another repeat, and then the siren went, so um, we stuck to our guns. What's the reason behind the composure this team is showing, particularly when, when Geelong were pressing that entire final term? I've heard you speak a lot about the work you've done in pre-season. Yeah, we've been working on our skills. Um, also, we played a few teams that roll around like they do, so we're really trying to look low, look lateral. And we saw a couple of times when we did look open side, we had really good opportunities going forward. So, um, And it's also just backing yourself in, be confident over the ball. That was Andrew Brayshaw, uh, Gus Jr. What a great insight into some of the, the depth of the game like in terms of the stuff that these kids have to learn how to play and the systems they play, just that description of that. He was talking about the scenario that the practice for end of game scenarios, that game was super tight and they had to protect a three point lead. Um, they would have practiced that. I don't know, George 50, 60, hundred times over preseason to know the lingo, to do it all. That's, that's what has to be drilled into their things. But then also the second comments about his, it was an insight into the way Frio played. I look to that outside. They switch much more than Melbourne. That's probably one of the big differences between how we play and they play. Um, but, yeah, I just thought it was terrific um, television, actually. Should he, yeah, have been, should he have been – I'll let you go in a sec, George. Should he have been giving that information out so well, freely? I, I thought. I long we all wouldn't be super happy, but I don't know. He's a pretty phlegmatic fella. But it did seem – like normally they just go, yeah, yeah, no, 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 we, we don't mind those close games or <laughs> – that's what he should have said, yeah. <laughs> George. But, but regardless, I, I'd encourage people to actually go and have a look at that interview if you can with the associated game footage, because that is exactly what they executed uh, in the in that sort of uh, minute or so that they had to play. And um, yeah, it, but the the really hard thing, and this is why Fremantle are going to be challenges this year, is when even if you've trained for that and and you've practiced it. In the circumstances of you'd played 99 minutes of foot, hard football yeah. for somebody to actually go, okay, this is what we have to do right here and now. Um, that's the re- that's when you have the leadership uh, that we've been talking about before and uh, the players to execute that sort of stuff in those those scenarios. And, and from the sounds of that and the obvious evidence that we're seeing in that situation is that Frio have got it this year. So um, don't, yeah. don't discount Frio this year to, simply because they're on the other side of the country. You don't hear anything about them. They're a seriously good side. 
Absolutely. And another big factor I reckon in that, George, is so they know what to do, but if they're if you're super fatigued and everyone knows this, if you're super fatigued, even if you know what it is that you're about to do, um, it is easy to make mistakes. So think of Blixvars last year um, at the end of the game in round 23 in that game. It was a complete mind not to be um, a complete brain fade, not to be manning up um, Max Gorn. But that's what fatigue does to you. So the fitter you are, the less fatigue is going to um, mess with your thinking processes. And if you see the mistakes that often happen at the end, they're often, I think, to do with players completely at the end of you know being fatigued. So our fitness is is a hugely important factor and they're they're a pretty fit they're really really fit side as well so that that's a i think you know and brisbane are super fit so it's a massive factor in footy these days how fit you can get your team we're going to have some massive games coming up sort of in that middle of the year where we play Frio, we play sydney play brisbane all within sort of a couple of weeks of each other and i hope the afl fixtures them very nicely and not Gift Essendon three Friday night games in a row. I don't know what the thinking is. Or or with a floating fixture, put Richmond and West Coast on on a Friday night. I mean, good Lord, what were they thinking? Well, that one was done a little earlier. Still, they would have maybe seen the way the wind was blowing. I thought that was a rolling fixture. It it was, but sort of still early in the year when it was in the last group that they did. But this next lot where they've given Essendon... Uh, within four weeks, three Friday nights. And I know they've given them against St Kilda and Carlton and whatever. You can't reward with a floating fixture where the whole point of it was to reward and to showcase the best teams. And look, whether it's Friday night or Saturday night, whatever's the best, you can't reward because Friday night's still a marquee thing with the only game of that day. You can't reward a one in six, one in five team like that. They can, it would appear, Andy. Well, obviously. Obviously. Um, Let's move on to some improvements. And this might be a little bit of a nitpick on my part, and I may be way off the mark here. I was a little bit disappointed with the crowd. Now, granted, there is still a section of the footy supporter base that they might still be wary of COVID, and I get that. And I'll also... uh, I'll also add I did a little bit of digging and the, the crowd of 39 to f- 39,000 to 40,000 is commensurate with recent previous crowds between the two clubs. However, this match was, I believe, a Hawthorne replacement game. Um, and don't forget, we're, we're coming off a premiership. We have our biggest membership ever. We've been footy staff for two years, yet uh, my reserve seat section was pretty empty. And let me tell you, those tickets aren't cheap and... It, it wasn't just a sprinkling of empty empty seats here or there. There were large chunks of rows. So I don't know, was it the time slot? I don't know what it is. Um, people complain about kids not being able to go at night. Um, this wasn't that night. It was still going to be early when it finished. People don't like Sundays. This was on a Saturday. Uh, you want more primetime games and you need to show you can get bums on seats. And um, I did see in the thread... And I was actually surprised to see this, that there's a thread about low attendance and someone had had stated that uh, taking away the years 1961 to 64, which were our highest average attendance, um, this year is our second highest average attendance behind 2018. And Mm -hmm. it's just only like five people per game below 2018. So it's up there in this modern, modern uh, era. in average home game attendance. So I was a little surprised to see that. Um, um, but, yeah, uh, 
was a little bit disappointed uh, with with the crowd this week. I don't know what I, it is. I, I think there's all sorts of factors going still at, at play. Certainly, COVID and and uh, apprehension about about COVID is is very real for a lot of people. But also, Hawthorne are notorious for not turning up. At games, I think Bin Man. If you were down the support down the uh, cheer squad end, you would have noticed an awful lot of empty seats down there for a, for a team that's uh, been very successful over a long period of time. Um, yeah, they they just don't turn up to games uh, as a general rule. But gee, you know, you still finish up with just short of forty thousand of that. Um, you can't complain. Can't complain about that for a four twenty five. Four twenty five is a nothing sort of game time for for anyone so um yeah i think you'll get a better idea when we as the season progresses a little bit more yeah i think the metrics changed so i think it's just one of those things it's like people aren't going back to the office working five days anymore that's changed it's three days and two that's the um and i think days of of fifty thousand to that sort of game are gone because I mean, there's the whole, once people fall out of the habit of doing things that happened during the two years in Victoria, then it's hard to get that back. Then, of course, there's all the factors like COVID and not wanting to get that. And 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 I think that, you know, in the days of streaming, you can watch the game at home. If you, I know some, you know, if you have 50-50 ongoing, do I go in and have to put up with Hawthorne fans or do I sit and you know, uh, sit at home? So I think... I think we've just got to accept that the numbers are going to be low across the board. Our numbers are no lower than other teams. And I wish, Andy, I wish I knew that um, it was a Hawthorne replacement game because there was a fellow behind me carrying on about how Melbourne fans don't turn up. <laughs> I, I wish I had that up my sleeve to say, well, it is a Hawthorne replacement game. I have to work on my pre, pre-match um, sledges a bit better, I think. I always come prepared. Um, George, you wanted to talk about what happened happened from halfway through the third term until the final bell? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just a little bit puzzled. Um, I know we will, um, you know, hold and protect games, but um, it, it didn't look good as a spectacle that last sort of quarter and a half of, of football um, when you're trying to sell the product that people aren't turning up to as well. Um, look, at as I, as I said in my report, I think it could it could have been a coaching decision. Um Okay, you know, especially with with uh, Adam in there, here's his opportunity um, to, um, you know, if you want to put the queue in the rack, at what point do we put the queue in a rack? You don't need to uh, win by anything other than a point in a in a game of football. Um, their assessment of the game might have been that five goals is something they were never going to come back from. Um, we don't know what those assessments were. Um, the other thing that I thought was. Um, at that point in the game, we're starting. To, you start to see the effects of the fill. What yeah. those five fill-in players yeah. are like, they're just not as good, not as fit, perhaps as as the main players. Uh, they're not as skilled. Um, just a little bit off. Um, whether and I think they might have rested Gorn a little bit more than what they normally would have. For example, um, um, the, the the real the concern is um, if it wasn't planned and it wasn't. Um, managed um you can't afford to lose momentum uh in football these days we've seen too often that teams and against hawthorne the previous week when sydney kicked nine goals in the last quarter you can't put the racket the queue in the rack too early because if they get the momentum back it is really really hard to regain it again so yeah it's you know 
we don't know the answers. We don't know what what was going on in the background. But you know, from a spectator's point of view, it wasn't pretty football. But um, yeah, it was a win. I suspect that that notion that I talked about a couple of weeks ago of playing the percentages uh, was a big factor for exactly the reason you just said, George, because the quality, um, the the drop off in in quality, and not having our best players with fatigue um, setting in. To score, you take risks, and the lesser player, the lesser skilled players, turn the ball over. Full stop. And you turn the ball over. That's what creates the opportunity to for the opposition to grab momentum. It never fell to the ground like they could get any momentum right through. It was only in that first quarter that um, um, Hawthorne, I felt like, got momentum, and we did a great job of stopping it. And in fact, um, that's the first time we haven't in that in our winning streak haven't um, led at the end of the first quarter, which is remarkable given that was a problem that we had last year and not that we had many problems last year but that was one of them was our slow start so um and it felt like they were holding them at arm's length um and i wonder where part of that was that you know if they were probably going to win if we got into a shootout with them and a pure shootout and they were trying to move the ball quick the hawks in that period that you're talking about but couldn't quite so i wonder whether we set up our zone a bit more we definitely held on to the ball that was the period i was saying that we really held on we had multiple times where we could have gone oliver had one where he had basically the open forward line to move into and then waited for ages for his full 30 seconds and then chipped it sideways um so you know i think the percentages was perhaps that that would have been a work. One interesting thing about um, Uze coaching that was a great presser. He's a he's a really cool cat, Uze. Um, but his answer to uh, did you get a call from Goody? Uh, he yes. said, no, just one for the whole match. Well, it was an open line. Yes, so- and here's one for the top of the Ponsford. Apparently, Goodwin was watching um, the, the ground down the ground footage. Did you hear that? That was his camera angle that he was watching at home and he had an open thing to the box, um, which is probably a bit tough on Uze, to be honest. But. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Were you aware of that uh, prior to the game, that the coaches well, no. who were out on COVID could have an open line to the box? I know they said Rudden oh, was ringing yeah, every five minutes. Could. Why couldn't they? But why? I thought play, oh, players. Well, and then I assumed officials that. weren't allowed phones. When Gordon said after the game, or in one of the interviews I heard, maybe it was directly afterwards, that uh, he, um, Track got a message from Goody brought out to him about something that Goody had seen from behind the goals, in the behind the goals thing. And he, Gordon laughed and said, Track never gets a message from Goody. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, I, thought, I, I, I thought I was curious and um, Uze was pretty phlegmatic about it, but... I thought it, I'd be a bit annoyed. I mean, it's his, his senior coaching gig and he's got – and he said, I think – I forget the, how it was framed, but the question was – I don't know whether the guy said the, – the, the, the journo asked him whether that was annoying or something, but he said, well, of course, he's the senior coach. Well, that's, I had to do it, basically. In the so, end, he's the boss. <laughs> yeah, he's the boss. <laughs> but, yeah. And, and it is all about the coaching team as well. You know, Goody might be away, but he's another set of eyes. Yeah, um, and he's well yeah. truly familiar with the systems, of course, being the yeah. senior coach. So why wouldn't you be using him in any capacity that you could? And, um, yeah, and, and as Uze said in the when we interviewed him, they have an open line. It's open all the time between him up in the box and Goody down below. Like they don't call each other; it's just open. Um, so in some ways, it replicated that because he was up in the box. Uze was up in the box, not down on the ground. Yeah, well, that's what Uze said to us that he's pre- that's his preference. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Um, a big man area of improvement. Anything? Yeah, look, I, mean, I, I don't want to go into um, Wiedemann's game in particular. I thought he played all right, and I like him in the ruck, actually. I think he's got pretty good ruck craft, and um, I really like it. One, I think he's got good ruck craft, and two, he was more physical than he normally is because you can't really hide in the ruck. You've got to be physical. Um, I thought uh, T-Mac played um, a pretty good game. Um, you know, he kicked, what, a couple of goals? At wow. least one. He kicked, um, he stole one. Well, well, that's yeah, yeah. But so I thought he played pretty well. Good footballer, smart footballer, exactly like yeah. George said. And Casey, he's you know he's got high footy IQ and knows how to play the game. If you were just to choose, for me, if I was to choose, it was a standalone game right now, grand final or elimination final or something. I would choose T Mac every day of the week because he's a better footballer. But the challenge a little bit for the club, I reckon, with this position is that. A bit what you were touching on before, Andy, is that they've got to be in a position to maximise, you know, to take away as many risks as possible come finals time. If you just played um, T-Mac all season and lost him come finals time, then you, I, I don't know that um, Weed playing whole season at Casey is the best way to get him finals ready out there. Um, there's that factor. Um, the other factor is... I, I, T-Mac is definitely he's lost a yard of pace. So I don't know whether it's possible at this point in a season to to be able to get that. Maybe he could do a block of training like um, uh, Brown did last year to, you know, to get a bit of um, agility back. So it's a real tricky thing. And, and I was, I guess the area of improvement is, I guess it's a sort of concern I have is that neither have really had great seasons. And as much as, you know, you could argue to the cows come home who you'd, if you're in the Wii camp or the TMAC um, camp, but neither stamping their authority on it. Um, and I, I recommend Ruin some sort of chance if he can. I don't know whether where he's at in his foot, football journey, whether he's the sort of player who could come in like a Bowie. Probably not because he's a key position player. It'd be a big ask. But it's just a slight concern I have because, you know, that third key tour was important, was super important last year. And I don't think either Weed or TMAC is um, really doing fantastic so uh, yeah it's a little bit of concern and the other one is that small defender role that i mentioned before we really have lacked that player since um uh, jets uh left and someone like you know the uh, the young uh, who's the player for hawthorne that um his name escapes me not jordan um but uh, they're the sorts of player those medium forwards as i was saying last week they we struggle with um and still struggle with but i reckon hunt is um, maybe the player who's been given a position, he's maybe given an opportunity at this point in his career to say, look, if you make this position your own, that's yours. The small lockdown defender is yours. And I thought he did a good job on the weekend. Um, and But it is a bit of a concern when we come up against, I watched Brisbane and they mauled um, Sydney. Once the ball hit the ground in their deck up forward, they just completely mauled them. And it wasn't just their forwards, uh, Bailey and um, others. It was um, Cluggage pu- um, pushing forward and Neil pushing forward into the forward line. Just brilliant ground ball players. Yeah, I've always thought that's been a bit of a weakness of ours, ball hitting the deck in the forward line. Uh, happened in the grand final with Trelaw uh, twice. Spilled balls come out and he's kicked yeah. a couple of snaps. But um, All right, well, let's move on to, to, to Casey before we go into the other changes. 
uh, with the D's having to make five force changes uh, to their lineup, it meant that our seconds team was going to be stretched when it took on Hawthorne's affiliate in the Box Hill Hawks at Box Hill City Oval. D's went into the match with only 11 listed players after Melksham was recalled to the seniors' side. Box Hill 2 were light on AFL talent with only nine Hawks listed players. Uh, if not for the yips in front of goal, Casey should have had the game sewn up at the last break uh, with a 26-point lead. And then Casey blew the lead within 10 minutes of the final term but steadied the ship when uh, D's medical sub, Kay Chandler, kicked three goals. Uh, the final margin was seven points after the Hawks kicked a goal uh, on the final siren. A big man, who anyone impress you? Uh, I only watched the second half and had a massive flashback. When I was 11, I think I played for the Kudung Hawks and I was a pretty average footballer, if all truth be told. And I missed the goal on that ground um, from inside the goal square, uh, <laughs> kicking towards um, the, the Box Hill Central end. Wait, um, did, did you so not, I had to turn it off. I did you not make the distance? or did uh, you? I don't want to go into it. It was wet and muddy. The wind was up. But needless to say, I missed it. Um, and we used to sing the Hawthorne song, so it was a bit of a flashback. Yeah, it was a funny game, and the ground actually didn't look in any much better condition since I played in it too many years ago. To mention, um, I, I like Magic Dawes. Um, you know, I was I, I knew he wouldn't get picked, but I would have loved to have seen him get a game um, uh, last week. No one really stood out. Um, Van Ruin did a couple of nice things, but was quiet. Otherwise, Rosman had another really good game, uh, and it looks like he's um, he's now locked in a defensive position, which is interesting. So he's playing almost like a mobile. Yeah, the player reminds me a little bit of his ruse that that sort of not quite a key position player, um, but quick moves moves well, and he's got a as George said last time, massive massive kick on him. Um, I, I thought he was probably the standout from our AFL list of players. Actually, um, Chandler bobbed up at the end, missed one goal, which was a dead set sitter, and then iced it with the one that he kicked. Um, there's no one else. I'm just trying to think of. Um, up back, oh, De- uh, Deacon Smith, he played, uh, I thought, pretty well. I, I thought he looked um, pretty classy and um, some promising signs. So um, he's, he's just come back from an injury too, I believe, or not not long, a couple of weeks back. So um, I thought he played, but no one really, it was a pretty scrappy game, I have to say. Well, I only watched the second half, but what I saw was pretty scrappy. Yeah, I, I watched the whole game. Um, it was scrappy the whole game. <laughs> just... Um, the, the beautiful downtown Box Hill uh, turned on the on the wind, so it wasn't surprising that um, the scores were just ordinary. The goal kicking was just ordinary for both sides, quite frankly. Um, the um, the con- the concern for me at the moment with with the Casey situation is that we've got an awful lot of players who who and they haven't played much football in the last two years and. You just don't get the feeling. Van Ruin is really the only one that I feel like this. That you go, oh well, there's some real talent there. Um, we, we've got an awful lot of of soldiers, people who can play roles, but they're they're just not standing out. You know, and Bin Man just said it. You know, in this game, who who stood out in this game? You know, it was hard to see someone. Um, you know, in the in the traditional reserves roles, who you go, oh yeah, they're going, they're really going well. They'll be playing by the end of the year. Um, and unfortunately, the players who are doing well for this for the side are sitting behind. You know, like 
Laurie is going to be a good player. Uh, uh, Andy Moniz Wakefield is going to be a good player. Chandler is a good and capable player. But who are they standing behind when you, you know, that in order for them to get a game? You've got to lose one of Viney Petraka or Oliver to to get um, those sort of players in, or an A and B, or a or a Cosy Pickett. You know the 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 players that we've got at Casey are the stand-in players. They're not the standout players. So, uh, however, Van Royen, even though it was his um, uh, what's his this his sixth game for this for the club, he's got something very very special there. Um, yeah. He hasn't got the tank. He hasn't got the endurance yet, or the the mus- muscle strength. But a couple of times, you just look at the way he plays, and you go, he he is the the classic centre half forward for the future. Um, so um, uh, it'll be interesting to see where he is by the end of this season. He's not there yet by any stretch, but he's he's just got that. Oh yeah, there's something special that we've got here. So um, be looking forward to that. Yeah, totally. You just see like some players stand out. And I remember seeing Fritter actually on that ground. I don't know if you recall that game. It was um, uh, the season before he was drafted. And I thought to myself, he wasn't even in Melbourne's team then. He was playing for Casey, was it? Mm. And that was the thought when I saw him move. So he's you know he's a standout. There's something about him and his competitiveness and uh, is what really stood out that day. But he also took a couple of good marks. I think kicked four or five. Um, but, yeah, he's got something about him, that's for sure, Venera. Did you ever think that uh, when you are watching Fritch that day that he'd kick six goals in a premiership? I did, actually. I had a, <laughs> um, I had a, a light bulb moment and looked forward. I, don't, I never said anything at the time to anyone because I didn't <laughs> want to be called a fool. But uh, Should have put money on it. I wonder what he was, would have been paying for us for that. Most goals in the 2021 <laughs> grand final. I was about to write my own ticket for that one. In so. Perth as well. Yeah. Uh, let's go ins and outs. Uh, with potentially five premiership players available to come back in this week, it's going to be a difficult night at the selection table this week. It's extremely likely that the luckless Joel Smith will be in for a stint on the sidelines with an ankle injury. It's a no-brainer that Petty resumes his duties in the back line to replace Smith. And I don't think there's any need to discuss uh, that change. And if for some reason Petty isn't quite ready for some COVID-related reasons, uh, whether lack of training or illness or fatigue, uh, then I'd imagine the next cab off the rank is Tomlinson for that spot. So I don't know if we really need to discuss that because Petty's going to come in if he's yeah. if he's right. Uh, then there's Sparrows from, from here on. I think we can just assume health and safety protocol guys are ready to return to the team, perhaps with the exception of Nibbler as we discussed earlier. Um, so I would say Sparrow comes in. Who does Sparrow come in for, guys? Um, you got could be a straight swap for Dunstan. There's Melksham. Um, yeah, I guess it also depends on on, on, uh, on whether Nibbler plays or not. Um, well, I think that if – let's assume that all five – let's assume they all come back except Nibbler. Um, then Melksham goes out. I think Dunstan played really well. Um, yep. You know, he, you know, but if he does, then there's a question about maybe he becomes a medi sub. But that's bouncing Bedford, and I don't think that will happen. So I think Dunstan will go back. Um, but with a, lot, a few credits in in the bank for him, I, I thought he played much better this week. Used the ball super well, and a knock on his that I've heard a lot is that his disposal is not first class. And I thought his his decision making was excellent. He's- and, 
he was the one that passed it to Max for Max's second goal. It's a beautiful kick straight onto it, the leading chest. Uh, he, I haven't seen what people were talking about. Yeah, that. that was a good pass too. And he jinked to the left to open that up. And um, yeah, so, um, but, you know, I think that you bring, the, you know, the other four will come back in, I think. So I, I think it's actually a good point. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Nibbler does get another week just to make sure he's cherry right. But it depends, who knows? It depends on how badly, maybe he's had no symptoms. It could have had days. no, it could have had absolutely no symptoms. He may not have had COVID, but I think someone yeah. let the cat out of that bag as well, didn't they, one of the players? <laughs> and, and then um, the other the other question is, what do we do with Jackson? Well, that's... Do you, do you, do you leave out uh, um, Wiedemann or T-Mac? Look, yeah, I, 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 I've been, as I've been on, Team T-Mac, when, when they, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they were, you know, forced to sort of make this decision. They, they uh, Weed or T-Mac, they, they gave Weed the gig. Um, I, I prefer T-Mac, so that's my preference, but they chose Weed, so I don't know if I they'll go back on it. I've swung to, I, I think, T-Mac now because it's more around getting, maximising the likelihood if we need him in the finals. Come finals, if... They're both equally fit. I'm gonna. I, I, I hope they go with T Mac, but I think that probably from a development perspective and a um, future sort of planning perspective, giving uh, Weed a good block of time now um, to um, really to to get AFL elite intensity and, and it sort of it's getting there. I think now is probably the time to play him, um, and then maybe look to do something with T Mac that they did with Benny Brown. They did it successfully last year, and we've talked a number of times that they're repeating things that they did last year so would it would it be a shock for them to say to t-mac you've got it six weeks out at casey and you're going to do a full mini pre-season to get your speed up and going and um um yeah it's a real interesting one but i i what i would do i'm not sure but what i think they'll do is um t-mac will go back to casey he but, did he did take five marks t-mac uh kicked two yeah. goals and stolen one but uh <laughs> and, and what we think here on a Monday night is completely irrelevant, as of we course. found out last week. Um, yeah, after all our prognostications last week, four players were out by Thursday and then a fifth <laughs> one out by Friday. So um, the whole world might change between yeah. now and next next weekend. So uh, yes. yeah, I was going to joke that Maxi was out and four others with COVID, but that's a bad joke. If it came true, <laughs> I'd be. <laughs> It was a joke that Robbo used before the game. I don't know whether you. Oh, I, I got a sh- bit of a <laughs> shock when he said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three more, three more out. Yeah. Three more late changes. <laughs> Just joking. Um, well, let's go into our opposition watch. Uh, not many would have earmarked our round eight clash with the Saints as a top four battle, uh, but uh, here we are. Uh, like the D's, the Saints scalps this season have been mostly from the bottom half of the ladder with the exception of their early season defeat of the Dockers. Uh, this past week saw the Saints uh, travel to Cairns for one of their sold home games. Uh, the Saints don't have such a great record selling their home games. They're 4-4 four and four in Launceston, 1-zip in Hobart, then the other side of the ledger, they're 0-1 in Shanghai, 0-2 in Cairns, 0-3 in Wellington for a total of five wins, ten losses for their sold home games. For contrast, our record in the Northern Territory is three wins, four losses in the Alice and four wins, six losses in Darwin for a total of seven wins, ten losses uh, for our uh, Northern Territory partnership and I'm not privy to what the Saints get for their games. That They're going at uh, 33%. Uh, we're going at 41%, so we've got a slightly better um, sold-home game percentage. 
Um, anyway, the Saints they they took took on the power despite. Uh, who, despite a big win over Cellar Dwellers West Coast the previous week, have been very disappointing uh, and against expectation for 2022. Uh, the match was played in typically tough conditions for Cairns. I only joined the telecast in the last seven minutes or so. Uh, both teams looked gassed when I joined, and I think when I came in, the Saints were three points down and then kicked a further four points to go up by a point. The power got that point back to draw it level again, and then kicked a point with 30 seconds to go. It was absolutely riveting stuff. Uh, Scoreline suggests that if the Saints had kicked straight, they'd have won easily, but I guess they found out that outside the safety of the Dome at Marvel, outside uh, weather conditions can and do have an impact uh, to the play. Um, George, what can we expect... Uh, from the Saints, uh, besides uh, them not being able to miss in front of goal as m- this week, uh, as my MFC SS sensors are already tingling. <laughs> what can we expect from the Saints? Um, we Nobody knows, quite <laughs> frankly. Um, the game in Kansas was an absolute shocker played on a cow paddock up there in the, in the tropical conditions. Um, they kicked 18 points. Um, for the game, while well, we can't crow having kicked <laughs> 22 uh, in, in recent times as well, um, it was 15 from the end of the first quarter. From yeah. the end of the first quarter of the game, um, and and they only kicked four goals, so you know, it gives you a fairly good idea of how bad the game was. In fact, to to give you an even better idea how bad it was, it was 98 turnovers to 100 turnovers wow. uh, in in between the two sides. So. Um, yeah, not, nothing to look forward to um, in terms of a presentation of, of uh, the sport itself. However, the, the Saints' uh, poor goal-kicking is not just confined to this game. They're, they've been the same all year, even under the Marvel Stadium roof. Uh, they're 17th in the league for, for accuracy. Um, they kicked 52-42 from set shots, really tellingly, um, with um, their major... And, and most of their goal scoring comes from Max Kings and Jack Higgins, which probably only means Membry's going to kick six or seven this week against always us. Always does. But he always <laughs> seems to manage the, manage that. So um, that'll help out Andy's MFCSS. Um, <clears throat> the other the other thing is um, it, it's difficult to uh, to know um, uh, who they'll actually have on the ground this week. Now we all know. Um, the, the problems associated with coming back after playing a slogging match in in a tropical environment, and I suspect that they will be severely impacted by that, particularly in a game that was um, so close as well. It's not like you, some of the games that we've witnessed where if it's an easy easy game in Darwin or something like that, um, you're not as affected. But when you it's knock them down, drag them out, it, it really affects the team regardless of whether the tropical conditions are there or not. But they were this week, so. Um, the other thing is it's difficult to know who, who they've got a couple of players out at the moment. They've got uh, Geary out, um, uh, Billings and Zach Jones as well have all been out who are all suspected they might be available this week. So you might see some wholesale changes for the side. Um, it, it's it, it's going to be difficult. I don't think they've got a really great... Um, coverage of, of system across the field. Um, even in this Cairns game, um, they had uh, inside their forward 50, uh, they only had six tackles for the whole game. 
Now this was the, this was a game that was you know slog um, knock them down drag them out and they've only managed six tackles inside their forward fifty so there's a complete lack of forward fifty pressure uh, to keep the ball in there and with our defensive systems that'll suit us beautifully we'll just clear the ball out now uh, I think the forecast for Melbourne this week is actually some rain which uh, I suspect will be the case on Saturday um, but. Look, the Saints are up against it this week. They're coming against, up against the top side. Uh, they've had a hard run into it. Uh, their, their systems aren't as strong as ours. Um, they depend on a few players. Their major goal scorers are uh, King and Higgins. Um, and beyond that, you know, let's hope that memory doesn't hit his straps this week. But we, I think we've got the players more than enough to uh, cover, cover their positives. B-Man, you talked about um, small forwards causing trouble who who plays on higgins does that um hunt get that gig well i think uh i mean if, if the last few weeks are anything to go by he will and, and i think if he does uh, that that'll answer any question about what role hunt's playing and um i mean he's got the the um toe to go with him i mean the the Saints are a real interesting one because I've watched a few of their games and it's a bit hard to get a handle on them because their numbers are actually really, really good defensively. They're up in the top four in terms of um, scores conceded um, percentage for inside 50s. Um, uh, and that's a really good marker generally of defensive systems. But it's a bit, you know, I guess it's the question of they haven't, who have they played in terms of their ability to open them up. So they're, they're all, they're, they're, Defensive running's been terrific. They're, they're playing a lot more all-team defence, which was their weakness last year. They've, they've implemented that system pretty well. They have a bit of a different zone system to most teams where they push up higher um, and they get goals out the back, which is really unusual. But um, they, they work super hard. Um, they've got good team buy-in, which um, I think Ratton needs to get some credit, actually, because I was really concerned with, you know, where they were heading. Um, they made a really good move playing Hill forward. That's where I'd be playing him. You know, get your best ball users up on the half-forward flank, uh, do some damage, because he was a player who was, you know, down on down on confidence last year. But on the half-back flank, you know, that's where... Yeah, you know, good players can thrive, but you can also struggle down there and have your um, numbers clipped. And um, so, you know, they're, they're, it's a big test for them. I think as a massive, massive, massive factor, the um, humidity then and the conditions they played in. So they effectively have um, to travel so that they the same number of days break, but they're coming back from Cairns, which is a two plane trip, mm. I think, even if it's in directly into Cairns. Awful conditions to play in. Um, it was a, I, I watched the last quarter and it was a slog. Like it was a, just a total slog. Um, the same goes for Port next week. So from a punting perspective, both those teams are going to struggle. Um, and I, it's you know the, the question mark about whether Melbourne fans have been in that space, haven't we? Should we be selling um, our games? Well, you don't really have much choice. They're by I heard in sort of Canada, that is, they're in the hold of the AFL about ten million dollars. They're by far the most um, uh, what's the word? The um, subsidised. Sorry. Right, yeah. Yeah, they're by far the most subsidised of the Victorian clubs by more than North Melbourne. So, you know, they've got, they, as as I heard someone on the radio say as well, they don't have any choice. The AFL was probably saying they've got to. I don't know why the AFL play that game at night, though. It's ridiculous because it's, it's just a rubbish game. So I think 
leaving aside whatever their game system is, um, you know, a big factor is their reliance on King. A big factor for us that negates that is oppositions don't mark um, the ball in their forward line. So you're basically taking King out of the game and that and that's a problem for them. He's He was cooked. They, their whole team was cooked um, for good reason. So they're going to struggle. And that's one of the benefits of actually what happened to us this week with COVID out. So let's say that the players come in are only tiny bit affected by the fact that they've had COVID. And let's, you know, they at least haven't had a, a match where they've been smashed from pillar to post. So they'll come in having two weeks off footy um, and hopefully their fitness is okay. So we're bringing five. A grade players or four A grade and a um, um, and Sparrow back into the team fresh and they're coming off a slogging match up in the humidity and um, dewy and conditions up and having to fly back so it's the worst possible preparation so they lose that game and then play the premiers the next week off the back of it so uh, it's hard to argue that there's much benefit in it for them um, as you know notwithstanding that they don't have much choice with their debt but um, I think they'll really struggle which is a bit unfortunate because it would be really good to see a full strength um, um, St Kilda not exhausted coming up against us just from uh, enjoyment, like watching to, for the Ds to get tested against uh, against a team that is flying. I mean, they were, they were flying before this week, so uh, a really banana skin. I tipped that that loss because I thought that's exactly the banana skin game, but really it's just horrible conditions. You don't think we'll see a Langdon versus Brad Hill competition? Oh, well, probably not. Only so far as Brad Hill's pretty much been playing half-forward flank um, but then maybe like it'll be interesting to see whether um, Ratten does tag Langdon, and you know they need someone who can go with Langdon, as we talked about. Um, yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. Their best player is Gresham; he's a star, um, and he's really, I think, their only A grader of the sort of somewhere in the vicinity of Track and. Um, Oliver, and he's not there yet, obviously. Um, but um, it'll be interesting to see again, do they tag Oliver and track? Neither did. Interestingly, Mitchell said about tagging um, in the week, in the lead-up, asked who he would tag. And he said that um, uh, his focus is on players who lead the score involvements and uh, Nibbler's second on that list at Melbourne, which I was surprised at, and track's number one. Yeah, I heard that one. Um, COVID uh, did the job for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, George, you wanted to talk about COVID protocols. Um, we'll take that before we uh, wrap it up. Yeah, I, I, I'm just intrigued as to when the uh, AFL give up on this game or whether they're allowed to give up on it soon. Uh, the players are, are already getting COVID from being in the community, the same community that effectively doesn't have any restrictions anymore. Um, uh, do we really need the same... same uh, effect uh, on the AFL players. Um, hopefully it'll get to the stage where it's like the old flu. If you've got the flu and you're not fit and able to play, um, then you won't be playing because the uh, the medical staff say that you should be, shouldn't be playing. But um, yeah, I think it's about time that they uh, reviewed the situation with the COVID protocols. Like I said, they're, all, they're already catching it. Uh, they're not in hubs anymore. We don't, we've got to make the change at some point. Um, if the players are fit and healthy to play, then let them play. Uh, they've got as much chance of getting it from going down to the supermarket as what they are from playing on a football field. So, 
let's hope we put this away well and truly before finals. Are you suggesting players play with COVID or are you just talking about isolation rules in terms of if their partner I suspect of gets a, it? I suspect apart from the rat testing, there, are pl- there would be players playing with COVID at the moment. We just wouldn't know about it. They've, they've got no symptoms and uh, they don't know about it. So, Well, what's the what's – the, do you know what the clubs in terms of testing procedures are or are you – are you suggesting think, clubs think, are being lax or not being no, truthful? No, no, I, th- I think the, the clubs are um, testing quite thoroughly, but the, the point is, is it necessary anymore? I think, and I could be wrong, I stand to be corrected, but um, it's the isolation rules is the issue because, of course, you've got COVID, you need to go into isolation, so you're not going to be playing. You don't want to play with, with the respiratory thing running 15 kilometres anyway, but... Um, the issue is that needing to isolate if you're um, in the household. But I think, and, and again, I stand to be corrected, that the reason they haven't changed that is because that it's um, uh, there's different rules in South Australia and Western Australia are still with isolation and that it, there's an equity issue that if Victorian clubs um, would get a benefit of allowing players um, different regime or around the te- than they, the Western Australian teams and the South Australian teams. Um, I'm pretty sure that's that they've that it's a universal rule until all states have the same isolation rules. They will use the current seven day isolation rule to, until until it's uniform across the country. It's very sensible, and certainly one of the Western Australian teams needs all the help they can get. Yeah, there's a cliff, and they've already dropped off it. Yeah. Well, guys, um, I think uh, let's let's end it there. We'll be back next week. Let's go, those demons. Go, Red Legs. Come on, demons. Come on, demons. Come on.